Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to Calvary Quakertown and welcome on this morning when things are kind of opening up a little bit. Uh, I've got some exciting news for you, and that is today is May 16th. That means two weeks till summer, but that also means it's the third Sunday of the month, and that means it's Connection Sunday, as you just watched in the video. We have kind of a vision that fits together with our values, and it goes something like this. As we connect with God and are impacted by him, he sends us to connect with other people and impact them. And as we do that, we continue what Jesus started. If you want to see how that works out in Jesus' life, read through the Gospels. If you want to see how that works out in the early church life, read through the book of Acts. They're connecting to God, being impacted by him, and then they're connecting with other people, and the Spirit connects with them and impacts them through us. Well, I've got a, a number of things to talk to you about connection. We've been connecting over the past year or so, but a lot of it has been through technology. I know we've been back for a little bit, some of you have been here, but a lot of our connection has been through technology, but we need to reconnect in person. So we're going to take this summer, and it's going to be a summer of connection. So I encourage all of you, go to the website, and run one of the early pages there, you'll see Summer of Connection. If you go to the app, you'll see Summer of Connection. And I encourage you to just look at some of those opportunities there and figure out what you need to avail yourself of to connect with people, be impacted by them, and then to connect and impact with others. I want to highlight just a couple of those opportunities to you this morning. Right after the second service today, you can join us and connect around the cornhole tournament. And so right back here in the picnic grove, we have over 20 teams that are going to compete. Some of those teams are coming from Philadelphia. We have hot dogs, there's water ice, there's drinks. Please come, connect with each other. Even if you're not competing, take a few minutes, connect with some people, say hi to some people maybe you haven't seen for a while. Treat that as a connection opportunity. Over the next few months, we're gonna have lots of opportunity. We know you like to connect around food, so we're gonna bring food in periodically so you can connect in that way. One of the things we're gonna ask for your help with, we're gonna ask many of you, maybe all of you, to host a connection barbecue. I'm not sure if you grow or not, you need to host a connection barbecue. And if you know how to Instagram or whatever, you can hashtag Summer of Connection. I don't know what that means, but you can hashtag Summer of Connection. If you don't know how to do that, just send pictures and we'll periodically show them through the summer. Our goal is to have more than 70 barbecues this summer. We're gonna do some big events on our campus of Connection, but we're gonna have lots of smaller groups at your house, at your neighbor's house, at lots of people's homes represented in the room connection around the barbecue. Host a barbecue. And that, that's a point of connection. Now, August is going to be an intensive month of connection. We are going to have outdoor services for those five weeks. Not because we have to now, because we want to now. So many people last year have said to us during and after, we need to do this regularly. Let's have services outside regularly. Well, we're going to take the month of August and we're going to have outdoor services for that month. One service, gather together, it'll be outdoors. We're going to connect through that entire month. There's going to be worship nights. There's going to be food trucks. We're going to bookend the entire month with baptisms. So the first Sunday, we're going to have a baptism. 
The last Sunday, we're gonna have a baptism. So if that's the next step in your spiritual journey, I encourage you, go on the website, stop at the hub, find out what you need to do to take that step of baptism. Lots of opportunities over the course of the summer as we re-engage and connect with each other and figure out what the fall is going to look like. Hopefully we can return to the new normal, which won't be the old normal, but it's not gonna be the uh, virtual normal that it's been for the past year as well. So I encourage all of you, look at the opportunities, avail yourselves of the opportunities, and let's connect together and see what God does to connect us with him, impact us through the community, and then sends us to impact other people. Will you join me as I pray for all of those connection things that will happen this summer? Lord, I thank you for um, the connection that the Calvary community really does have. Lord, we thank you that we live in a day and an age when technology has allowed some of that connection to continue, even though we were not able to meet. But Lord, now that we can meet and now that we can reconnect, Lord, help us to um, take safe but proactive steps to connect and to be the community that you want us to be, to be impacted and to impact through those different opportunities. Lord, we pray for the cornhole tournament today. We pray for the barbecues for the month of August that's still being planned. Lord, would you somehow knit together all those opportunities into a cohesive whole that by the time this summer ends, we can all feel better connected to each other and to you than we've ever been before, able to step out with steps of impact into our communities, our relationships, our families, etc. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Well, that's probably a pretty good lead into our series. We're in a series that we're calling The New Normal, the ever-changing and never-changing church. And just to remind you, thus far in the series, not sure if you picked this up or not, thus far in the series, we've only looked at principles. Have you noticed that? We really haven't looked at how the principles get lived out yet. We've looked at the principles. So I kind of have a slide for each of the principles. I'm going to blow through them really quickly, so you need to follow along. The first principle Jesus gives us all the way back in Matthew's gospel, and the principle is, it's his church, and he's building it. And so pressure's off. We don't have to build it. Jesus is the architect. Jesus is the general contractor. He is building the church. No human can thwart that building, and no obstacle can stand in the way of that church being built. Jesus is building the church. The second principle we looked at is that Jesus uses his spirit to build the church. Jesus, through his spirit, energizes believers, empowers and gifts them so that they become the means by which the church is being built. We also said that he transforms people that then allow them to do the building. And so it's his spirit that enters our lives. It's his spirit then that changes us. And if you remember, we, we said a few weeks ago, we are then qualified we are then rescued, we're transferred, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. All of those things are true of us. That's part of the Spirit's work, transforming us so that we can build the church. We looked at a, a couple chapters after that in Colossians and said, on the outside, that looks like put off and put on. So put off these attitudes, these behaviors, put on these attitudes and behaviors. That's the practical side of the transformation. And then last week, Carlos walked us through and the first Peter verses in which it says, Jesus is building the church. He does it through his spirit by transforming people as he changes their lives and he's building us into a community. We're all living stones 
built into a single spiritual house. So we don't, we're not transformed to go and live isolated lives. We're transformed to be built together into a spiritual house. Well, those are the principles that we've looked at for the last five weeks. But what does it look like when those principles get lived out or put into place? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do that by looking at the first two chapters of Acts, where that community is getting established. So I'm going to trust that you can keep those principles in mind and see if you can see those principles being put into practice and being lived out in the first couple chapters of Acts. Now, obviously, we don't have time to walk through those two chapters in detail. I'm going to kind of, kind of land and come back up, but hopefully highlight the principles. Real simple outline this morning, since we got a lot of information. Here's the outline. Up and down, in and out. You can, no, we're not going to do uh, gymnastics this morning, no aerobics. We're not becoming a liturgical church, up, down. We're not doing any of that. But the outline is up and down, chapter one, in and out, chapter two. And if we could understand up and down, in and out, you're going to understand how those principles are actually being lived out in the church in Acts and how they need to be lived out in our lives. Well, first of all, up and down. Well, the first chapter of Acts doesn't have a whole lot to say about the church yet. It's all about Jesus. The up part in Acts chapter one, Jesus ascends. That's what chapter one is. Jesus ascends. In fact, in verse nine, uh, at the end, right, the famous verse that we like, Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes like a, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Kind of, like, kind of like a little kid holding a helium-filled balloon. Let's go, it goes. And uh, maybe, the, you know, those original disciples are thinking, we should have held on a little tighter. Maybe we should have grabbed his ankles. Jesus took off and went into the clouds. What does that mean? Well, if you look at the two verses together, you understand if Jesus doesn't go up, the spirit can't come down. So Jesus' ascension is necessary in order for the Spirit to come, energize believers to then build the church. So if Jesus is building the church, he does it through the Holy Spirit by transforming people, building them into a community. Jesus must ascend so the Spirit can descend, transforms people, and builds them into a community. It's all dependent on that. Well, it's kind of interesting if you think about it. Some groups within, you know, Christianity, they make a big deal out of the ascension, right? Roman Catholics, they have like a ascension Sunday. You know, some of you may have gone to a school called Ascension or a church. Episcopalians, they kind of like ascension language. More liturgical churches emphasize ascension. More Baptist, evangelicals, lower, we don't talk much about ascension. To our own impoverishment, what in the world does the ascension mean? Well, we could obviously talk about that for a long time. I just want to mention three things that will help us understand how Jesus builds the church, but his ascension is absolutely necessary for that. The first thing that Jesus' ascension brings is intimacy. Some of you are probably thinking, Charles, have you lost your mind? Like if Jesus goes away, how can he be more intimate by not being here? Well, that's what the original disciples thought. Let me give you an example. There's a really weird passage in John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb, right? Jesus has been raised from the dead. She can't find him. All of a sudden, Jesus is there. He says, Mary, Mary's eyes are open. What does she do? 
She like tackles him, right? She, I, in my mind, she's holding his feet. I'm not letting you get away this time. You know, you went away for the past few days and my life was miserable. I'm holding on to you. I'm never letting you go now. And then Jesus says a really weird thing. Mary, stop clinging to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. What the heck's going on there? I think here's the point Jesus is making. Mary, as long as you hold me with your hands, we're going to be separated. You're going to fall asleep, and your hands are going to fall to the ground. You're going to have to go, you know, this place, that place, and we're going to be separated. But Mary, when I ascend to the Father, he will send my spirit. And if you let go with your hands, I will hold you in your heart. I will never leave you. And so actually intimacy comes after the ascension because the spirit comes, right? What's our first? Jesus building the church. He builds it with the spirit. Intimacy comes because the spirit brings Jesus closely and eternally to every one of us. Here's another thing the ascension brings that sometimes we uh, neglect. Sovereignty. One of my uh, favorite passages in the New Testament is Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, in, in my mind, it's kind of the opposite scene of Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, you know, the disciples standing on the earth, and they watch Jesus kind of going up, right? There's the balloon going into the sky. Revelation chapter 5 is John looking from heaven's perspective, seeing Jesus ascend into heaven. And what happens in Revelation chapter 5? Remember that scene? John is saddened. John is distraught. John's saying, Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Nobody can open the scroll. Nobody can walk up to the Father and take the scroll and unfurl God's victory, unfurl vindication for God's people. All of a sudden, John sees a lion who is the lamb. And what does the lamb do? The lamb walks to the throne and says, I'll take that scroll because the lamb has authority to unroll the scroll. And so the lamb then begins to break the seals and unroll the scroll. The lamb is ushering in God's history, God's victory, God's plan, that sovereignty. Look, I don't know why things happen, but I do know who controls what happens. Jesus today sits at the right hand of the Father, unrolling God's plan page by page, right on time, according to schedule, according to his plan. Sovereignty. But there's one last thing that ascension always means to me. And you need this. Maybe not as much as me, but you need Advocacy. Do you need an advocate? Sure you do. We're weak. We need somebody stronger coming alongside of us. We're guilty. We need somebody coming alongside of us to pay that debt. We have all of these problems. We need an advocate to make up for all of our lacks. Now, I didn't print the other verses, but I wanted to print this one for you from Hebrews. I think you turn back. There it is. Uh, you need this verse. In fact, if, if, if you don't have this written, you need to write this down or type it in your phone. Advocacy. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. No, you got to go back to the Hebrews verse. I'm ready to read the Hebrews verse. I'll read you the end of it. Jesus continually makes intercession for us. 
continue. Do you need continual intercession? I don't only need intercession one time and it's done. I need intercession regularly. I need intercession continually. And right now we read in the Bible that Jesus continually advocates for us. Advocacy. So what's the ascension mean? The ascension means Jesus ascends and there's intimacy. Jesus ascends their sovereignty. Jesus ascends to advocacy. That's the foundation on which then the church gets built. And so Jesus is the builder of the church. He does it by ascending and connecting. Well, how about the, uh, how about the up and down part? Well, since Jesus ascends, then the spirit comes down and the spirit is poured out on those first believers. And over 3,000, after that one sermon, over 3,000 people put their faith in Christ, repent of their sins, they get baptized. Down, the spirit comes down. Now, we could talk a lot about that. And I know some of you may come from a charismatic or Pentecostal. I was going to ask you to raise your hand. I know you want to. Just keep your hands down right now. Um, some of you may come, and we could talk about that. But the Spirit's descent communicates one thing that we need to keep in mind. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit's descent is about intimacy, is about sovereignty, is about advocacy, but it's about power. And here's maybe the most countercultural part of the beginning chapters of Acts. We live in a culture that basically says this. All of your problems, all of my problems, are out there, right? My problems are out there. So if I were to ask you, what's the biggest problem in your life? You would name something out there. You'd name your job, you'd name your boss, you'd name your wife, you'd name your husband, you'd name your kid. You'd name something out there. But our culture tells us, but the solution to those problems is in here, right? The problems are out here. The solution is in here. Trust yourself. Go with your heart. You understand. You have everything you need inside of you. You know, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. Repeatedly, and right here in Acts with the Spirit come, here's, here's what the Bible says. Our biggest problems are in here. I'm my biggest problem. You're your biggest problem. Our biggest problems are in here. The solution to the problems is out there. The solution to the problem is the spirit coming in power and influence to bring about that change. That's radically countercultural, isn't it? The solution is not in here. The solution's out there. The problem's in here. The problem's not out there. Radical countercultural message of the gospel. So that's kind of the up and down part. And you've got to have that as a foundation or you can't do the in and out part. Jesus ascends up. The spirit descends down. Therefore, now we can be transformed. We can now be the mechanism God uses to build the church, transform our lives, and knit us together in community into this glorious temple pointing the way to him. Well, what's the in and out part then? Well, if you read Acts chapter 2, and I'd encourage you to do that, when the spirit comes down, there's now this in and out rhythm. The in and out rhythm isn't only in Acts. It's not only in the New Testament. It's throughout the, throughout the whole Bible. God calls people in to follow and then sends them out for him. He calls in to be with him, sends them out for him. That's the rhythm of the gospel. In and out, just like breathing, in and out. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 says it like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Lots of commentators have said, those are the four marks of a church. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, 
breaking of bread, and prayer. You can't have a church that Jesus is building. You can't have a community that's pointing the way to him without those four elements. You need scripture, you need fellowship, you need community, you need communion, fellowship, connection, Jesus, and you also need prayer. Now, we don't have time to exhaust those. I want to mention a couple of things, though. The first thing I want to mention is that verse 42 in Acts chapter 2 comes after verse 41. That's pretty important because in verse 41, we read that 3,000 people had their hearts open, turned, repented of their sin, came and were baptized and followed Jesus. Acts 2.42 is the follow-up plan. Acts 2.42 didn't happen just with the 12 or with the 120. This is what happened with the 3,000. This was the follow-up. This is what they did as they began to knit themselves together. First of all, scripture. Now, at this point in the history of the church, all they had was the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written yet. So Acts, Luke didn't write anything yet. Matthew, Mark, none of them had written anything yet. They've got the Old Testament. But if you want to know what the apostles' teaching is, read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Here's Peter's sermon. The Bible, at that point, the Old Testament, the Old Testament has a point and a purpose. Jesus is the point, and the purpose is to lead us to him. Peter starts his sermon by saying, Jesus is the one that the prophets predicted would come to bring salvation, grace, and the gospel to the world. Jesus is the one. David and all that historical stuff, David was the lesser one pointing to the greater one, Jesus, his descendant. And so it's all about Jesus. The Old Testament, the prophets are pointing to Jesus, the history is pointing to Jesus. The kings are pointing to Jesus, David is pointing to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. That's what Peter says in the sermon. So what's the apostles teaching? It's scripture with Jesus as the point and the purpose. That's how it works. Second thing is community though, community. Now remember, these 3,000 people repent of their sin, they're baptized, they're brought, and they're immediately ushered into fellowship. Now, I didn't put the word fellowship up here because I say, I say fellowship, immediately you think of coffee and donuts. And some of you are wondering, where is the coffee, by the way? Like we opened up, where's the coffee? And, you know, donuts are a good thing. You know, we, we need food. Yeah, fellowship just means a sharing in common. We use the word community in much the same way. Fellowship's kind of become a watered-down religious word. So we have community. These 3,000 dedicate themselves, right, to the apostles' teaching, to Scripture, and to the community, to each other. And if you read after verse 42 in Acts chapter 2, you'll discover they're being generous with each other, not just reaching out to meet the needs of others, generously giving of what they have to meet the needs of those inside the community. Community. Why are we doing all of these connect things over the summer? to get us connected and reconnected? Because that's how we need to live out the principles that we find in the New Testament. First Peter says, they're knit together as living stones into a building pointing to Jesus and worshiping him. We need to be connected in order for that to happen. So we don't do, just do cornhole to do cornhole. And we don't bring food trucks just to bring food trucks. And we don't have, you know, an intensive connection month. Just have a good time every day with worship nights and comedians and all of that. We do those things to connect and experience a sharing in common 
community. But it's also all about Christ. And it may take just a couple sentences for me to explain this. Actually, what the verse says is the breaking of bread. And there's kind of a debate. Is that the love feast? Is that sharing a meal together? Is that communion? Um, I kind of think probably the best interpretation is that it's communion. Love feasts are spoken of elsewhere. But what is communion all about? Communion is about remembering and recentering around Jesus. Communion is all about Christ. When Christ instituted communion, what did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this from now until I return. Communion is all about remembering and recentering our lives around him. So as we move toward a summer of connection, we're going to have opportunities for communion. We're going to do that when we gather outside. And the first opportunity, we can do it in other ways that are still safe. We will do that here. Communion, helping us to remember and recenter around Christ. And the fourth of those marks is prayer. Now, some of you in this room are great prayer warriors. You dedicate time and energy to that. Others, maybe not so much. But here's the point. When we pray, always, we acknowledge our weakness and our lacks, and we acknowledge God's adequacy and strength. Isn't that right? You wouldn't pray if you think you have this whole thing licked by yourself. You pray because you acknowledge you can't do it. You pray because you acknowledge you're weak, you're not able to figure it out. And you also pray to God because, you know, he is strong, he's wise, he's able to do it. So we recognize our weakness, our ignorance, God's strength, God's wisdom. That's what prayer is. So prayer is the mechanism of reminding ourselves who we are, reminding ourselves who he is. And we throw ourselves at his feet in mercy and in mission. So there's, there are the four marks. Scripture, community, Christ, and prayer. Well, that's kind of the in part. What about the out part? Well, actually, the out part is all over the first two chapters of Acts. We started by looking at Acts 1.8. Notice, the Holy Spirit was not given just so we connect, 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 connect. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit's given so that we connect and impact. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That first sermon that Peter preaches is preached on a Pentecost. You know what a Pentecost was? It was 50 days after Passover, all that, right? So it's 50 days after. Jesus had been there meeting with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom, but now he's ascending. But what happened at Pentecost? Well, Jews from all over the world came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. That's why when you read Acts 2, all of these Jews that speak different languages are all gathered there. That's why the Spirit enables the disciples to speak in lots of different languages. Have you ever thought about it like this? The first Christian sermon ever preached was preached to the nations at the same time and was preached in the languages of the world at the same time. No language, no culture, no ethnic group of people has priority over any of the others. 
God orchestrated this perfectly. Everybody's gathered in Jerusalem. They speak all these different languages. God, Jesus is building the church. He's doing it through his spirit, poured upon these believers. Their lives are radically changed. They're being transformed. They then connect and go for him. They're sent for him. And at the same time, the nations hear the message of the gospel. And the nations hear it in their own language. But not just that. They hear it from Peter. If there's like the least likely candidate to preach this first Christian sermon, wouldn't it be Peter? If you think about it, Peter's known for two things through the gospel. You can correct me later. Here's what I think Peter's known for. Peter's known for one, putting his foot in his mouth. That's probably the first one. And for being a coward. Isn't that right? Read through the gospels. He always putting his foot in his mouth, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And he's a coward. Right? When push comes to shove, he's backing down. What does he do in Acts 2? He preaches a sermon, and 3,000 listeners say, what must we do? They repent of their sins and are baptized to follow Jesus. Peter, who just a few weeks before denied that he even knew Jesus because he didn't want to have happened to him what's happening to Jesus. He's hiding in an upper room in Acts chapter 1, fearing for his own life. What does he do in Acts chapter 2? He stands courageously before some of the very people that cried for Jesus' execution, and he preaches the gospel. That kind of sounds like a transformed life, doesn't it? So what are our principles? Jesus is building the church. He builds it through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. That's all one story. That's how Jesus builds the church. He builds the church through his spirit. As he sends the spirit, he pours the spirit on his followers. His followers are then energized and gifted and graced. Their lives are transformed. They connect with each other and build a community that points to Jesus and radically seeks to follow him through connection and impact. I don't know what all the details of that mean for Calvary Church. We regularly ask those questions. We wrestle with that stuff. We know what the principles are, right? Jesus is building the church. He's gonna build it through his spirit, transform lives, building us into community. Yeah, that, that, they're the principles. We see how it lived out in Acts. But you know, this isn't the first century. This is the 20th. How does it all work? We don't know. But those are the questions. The principles get lived out in practice in Acts 1 and 2. And those same principles and practices need to be lived out at Calvary Church and in our surroundings in 2021 and into the future. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this look at how the early church sought to live out the principles. They knew the principles. They studied the principles. They knew that Jesus said he's building the church, and he knew the Spirit was going to be the means, and they knew he was going to transform lives, and he wanted them to be a community and to be unified, not to be separate. And they sought to put it into play as Jesus did his part, and they cooperated with him. Lord, we pray and ask that you'd help us to do that same thing, emphasizing Scripture, community, Christ, and prayer. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.